Talk Recorded live. Hello, faithful Christians, and thank you for joining me, Pastor Visser of beautiful downtown Brooks, Georgia, and the Covenant People's Outreach and Ministry for yet another Wednesday night Bible study. And this particular evening, we're going to be looking at all sorts of things, but mostly Yahshua's parable of the debtors. And the reason for this, of course, is because since January 1st of this year, this particular ministerial outlook, and at least focus, has been on the parables of Yahshua. And this particular parable of the two debtors, as spoken by Yahshua, has the distinction, like many others, to appear only within the gospel according to Luke. And that is why, here momentarily, we're going to be taking a look at Marcion of Sinope, and who he was, and why all of this ties together. Because, after all, if you're familiar with this particular ministry, you know that just Sunday I preached two particular sermons. One being on the parable of the virgins. However, later that evening, I preached on Yahweh's truth, filling in for Dr. James P. Wickstrom. But the theme of my sermon, Sunday at 8 p.m. at least, was the concept that Yahshua the Christ is God manifest in the flesh. And throughout my ministerial career, it seems, at least every time I preach on this concept of Yahshua being God, well, there is much consent, much dissension, and many problems. And so, before we actually look at this, let's look at who Marcion of Sinope is, very shortly. But ironically, Marcion was one of those second-generation Christians that we, here in 2016, could attribute to a reverse Paul Basher. Being that he was the faithful, Marcion, and that he realized that there were numerous scribes out there who were rewriting and rewriting over and over the epistles of Paul. Well, he was the very first Christian in history to come along and say, we need a yardstick. We need a measure of standard. And I bring this up, of course, because the parable of the debtors was one of Marcion's favorite parables, because he believed, unlike a majority of the world today, that the Old Testament God, Yahweh, was evil, and that the Old Testament should have been cast out. He believed, Marcion of Sinope, that only Paul, Luke, and a few choice select books from the Old Testament should have been in what he deemed as his quote-unquote yardstick. And so, when we study this parable of the two debtors, understand that in Marcion's Gospel of Yahweh, or the Gospel of the Lord, or as it's known on the internet as the Gospel of Marcion, we find Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Because this particular parable here in Luke was one that Marcion felt was completely legit. But to make a long story short, Marcion was dubbed as a heretic at the mere age of 34 and was put to death for his heresy. 
Because needless to say, while he was a second generation, while he knew Luke and while he knew Paul and believed that only Luke and Paul in these New Testament epistles should trump the entire Old Testament, I want you to understand that early Christendom and all of Christendom has held that Marcion of Sinope was a heretic. And today we live in an era where you have men and women who come up to you and say, you know what, I'm a New Testament-only Christian. Yeah, so was Marcion. And Marcion was put to death by the second-generation Pauline Christ, uh, Christians for coming in and saying there is no Old Testament. It is not to be hearkened to, and furthermore, that Yahweh God is an evil demimerge, an evil deity of the Old Testament. That, dear kinsfolk, is heresy. And while it cost Marcion his life around 150 A.D., ironically, Marcion's Gospel of the Lord, or Marcion's Gospel, which is comprised mostly of fragments from this book of Luke and this particular parable that we're covering, do not appear in canon. So understand this concept, the very man who decided that canon was required, was dubbed as a heretic, was put to death, albeit 150 years later at the Council of Nicaea. His books, Marcion's, did not appear within the canon. So we truly do reap what we sow. But enough on Marcion of Sinope. If you require more on Marcion, just look up the Gospel of the Lord or, or uh, Marcion because the belief that Yahweh God is not Yahshua or vice versa is attributed to this first century heretic. So there, dear kinsfolk, is the answer to many people who come and say, how can you espouse that Yahshua is God? There are still many people who cling to this belief, this erroneous belief. If Marcion was put to death for saying the Old Testament should be put away, then what on earth are we doing? Coming in and saying, you know what? We're a New Testament Christian. So, notwithstanding, Marcion was a pure 100% Gnostic. And it was a Gnostic who decided that our sacred script, at least the New Testament, needed to be canonized. But Marcion liked Luke chapter 7. And therefore, I'm going to read you this parable of the two debtors as spoken by Yahshua in the New Living Translation. So you understand at least the narrative and the moral tale behind it and what Yahshua is trying to bring forth here. Because this parable is unlike many others that he taught. So, without further ado, in the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. We read, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come to his home for a meal. So Jesus accepted the invitation and sat down to eat. A certain immoral woman heard he was there and brought a beautiful jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee, who was the host, saw what was happening and who the woman was, he said to himself, This proves that Jesus is no prophet. If God had really sent him, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. 
Then Jesus spoke up and answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. All right, teacher, Simon replied. Go ahead. Then Jesus told him this story. And this, if you will, is the parable of the two debtors. But before we get to that in modern English, understand where he is. And let me set the table for you. He was bidden to come to this particular dinner by one Simon, a Pharisee. And we must understand that at this time, he was in the land of Nain, N-A-I-N. Yahshua Messiah was in the land of Nain, nowhere near Magdala. You understand that? A good 35 miles away from Magdala. So when we look at this account, and we're looking and dissecting the parable of the debtors, understand that it's the same council of Nicaea, the same papacy who comes in and will add a little bit to this narrative. They want you to say, hey, this is Mary Magdalene. But as we read this, I want you to uh, prove to me that this is Mary Magdalene, because we're nowhere near Magdala here. We are in Nain, very important, because this is a different center. And it is only tradition that holds that this is Mary Magdalene. The text does not bear that out. So, this is where he is. And he tells him this story. In verse 41, Yahshua says, A man loaded money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose that loved him more after that question? Simon answered, I suppose that the one whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said, Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss of greeting, but she has kissed my feet again and again from the time I first came in. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. But the men at the table said among themselves, who does this man think he is going around and forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now that is the parable of the two debtors, at least as it is transcribed in the gospel according to Luke and as it is written in modern English, so you can understand it in the year 2016. And notice that Yahshua at the very end says like he usually will do. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Very, very important because it is truly our faith that will save us. Save us from anything that is forthcoming. Save us from our sins. Well, faith can deliver you from that. Save you from sickness, worry, and all of those things. Faith also can deliver you from that. So, understand, before we even start to dissect Joshua's parable of the two debtors, 
that unlike many other parables, and most assuredly unlike many of the parables to be found within the Gospel of Luke here, Yahshua is not specifically rebuking a class of people. Yahshua is not coming in and telling, technically, that Simon was wrong, the Pharisee, for thinking what he did. But rather, this parable of the debtors is more an attempt by Yahshua to get you, me, and most assuredly, Simon, in the narrative, to see the world through his eyes. Not pharisaical eyes. Not those that are grace-only eyes, these New Testament Christians, but the eyes of God. Right? Because after all, when it comes down to it, the topic here is they that are forgiven of much will love much and be more grateful. But they that are forgiven of little will love little. And they're not really quite so grateful for the grace that is extended. Right? After all, Yahshua said, they that are whole have no need of a physician. So if Yahshua is your physician and he heals you, you will be grateful, correct? But if he's not your physician and he does not heal you, you have no gratitude whatsoever. And so, to truly understand the parable of the debtors, let's dissect this in the King James Version. It begins in verse 36 in Luke chapter 7. It says, One of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. Now, as a side note, this is one of the few variations of Marcion's Gospel of the Lord versus Luke's take here in chapter 7. Because in the Gospel of the Lord, according to Marcion, when it comes down to it, he says that he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined. And that, my friend, is the only variation in the entire parable. All of these verses from 36 to 50. So what I want you to really understand is while Marcionicinope was a Gnostic and was a heretic and ultimately lost his life, while, of course, the enemies come in and say, yeah, the Bible must be canonized, was an accurate scribe was truly practicing what he preached. Because I invite you in your free time to get the gospel of the Lord. Look into Marcion's uh, works and the fragments from Luke that he felt were good. Because when he scribed them, they are word for word, verbatim, identical, with this exception. For example, verse 36 in the gospel of Marcion. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined to eat. Very big difference. Recline versus sitting at meat. Because we, in 2016, like to think, hey, well, if he's sitting at meat, he must be sitting at a table, right? Tucked in and scooted right up, very mannerly. But that was not the custom during Yahshua's time. When Yahshua came to eat meat, basically they would recline, just like Marcion says. They would oftentimes recline with their legs out to the side, but most oftentimes would recline with their legs behind them as they ate the food before them. So bear that in mind when we get to the fact here that this sinful woman stood behind Yahshua. It will make much more sense. So the table is set, if you will, and Yahshua is coming into Simon the Pharisee's house because he was bidden. He was asked. Therefore, Yahshua says yes. I will come. Verse 37. 
And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. Now, you already heard me touch upon this. It is only Catholic tradition that says this is Mary Magdalene. But again, if you read Luke chapter 7, this very chapter, but turn to verse 11, you will see that he is in the land of Nain, and nowhere near Magdala, which is on the Sea of Galilee. She, this sinner, was known in Nain as a sinner. We just covered that, and verse 39 confirms it. But it does not say it is Mary Magdalene. And the reason I keep stressing this is because we will find in the other Gospels similar accounts to this narrative. Although they are not the parable of the debtors, but if you compare it to John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, or Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 13, or Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9, you will see that there is an entirely different account when he comes to Simon the leper's house, and he has two sisters. One named Martha, one named Mary. Therefore, the way of man is to come in and say, even though Yahshua is in the land of Nain, and even though the very account according to Markion and the King James canon say this was just a certain woman, doesn't say it's Mary Magdalene, well, huh, guilt by association, right? Just like Donald Trump. If it appears in John and it's a Mary over there doing it, even though it's not in the same exact land, it must be the beat. It must be the same exact woman. So, first point is, this is not Mary Magdalene. Do not be deceived into thinking that. This is a sinner, not a prostitute. It does not say what his sins are or her sins are. All we know of this narrative was that she was considered to be a sinner, right? Verse 37, a woman in the city, the city of Nain, was a sinner. And she knew that Jesus was at meat in the Pharisee's house. And she brought an alabaster box of ointment. Now, you've heard this many times, have you not? This alabaster box of ointment? Because, after all, I have preached from the Gnostic text numerous times where it is in infancy, the gospel according to the birth of Mary, and many other books that are considered non-canonized, that it was the midwife the Hebrew midwife that delivered Joshua, who supposedly took his navel string or his foreskin and put it within this same alabaster box of ointment to anoint him for his death. But that is just tradition, dear kinsfolk. Let's look at what an alabaster box of ointment is. Alabaster boxes were made in alabastron, Egypt. They are still made there today. An alabastron is where soft marble can be found. Thus, for, thus these vessels, these quote-unquote alabaster boxes, were called alabastra in the Greek because they came from that region in Egypt. They were oftentimes made from other materials, but they were various shapes and sizes. The most simplistic terms, what an alabaster box is, is it's a clay picture designed to hold exactly what the narrative says. Ointment. And so, with all of these traditions aside, this sinner comes in, and she brings with her this clay alabaster box of ointment. Verse 38. What does she do? She stood at his feet behind him, weeping. Do you understand that? 
while he is reclining to eat. So while Luke is sufficient, understand that Marcion's is actually a little bit more accurate and explains why it is she would be standing behind Yahshua to anoint his feet as he eats, because his feet would be behind him. She, the sinner, stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. So now does that make sense as to why? It's a very simple story. Yahshua is bidden to lunch at the home of a Pharisee named Simon. And as he comes in, the table is set. Therefore, those that were eating in Simon's house were there all eating, but then comes in this sinner, and she brings with her this alabaster box of ointment. And what does she do? She stands at his feet behind him, because Yahshua's feet were behind him. Verse 39. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, stopping right there, he didn't speak outward. People didn't hear this. He did not blurt out, but rather he had this thought. Very important to understand. He had the thought, and Yahshua perceived his thought. Verse 39 says, when the Pharisee had bid, the one that bid him to lunch saw what happened, he began to speak within himself, or he reasoned in his own mind. And he concluded within himself that Yahshua did not know what kind of woman this was. But remember, Yahshua is already reading this man's mind. He's thinking this, meaning Yahshua already knew what manner of woman this was. And that should be apparent from the text. He began to speak within himself. He did not speak out loud. He did not speak to his son nor his brother. And he thought within his head, my man, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for he is a sinner. Now pay close attention to verse 40 here in St. Luke chapter 7. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say to thee. Now right about there, at that point in the narrative, I'm sure Simon realized he was probably in a little bit of hot water. Because he merely had this thought, and then moments after having the thought, Yahshua brings his thought to light. And I'm going to prove that momentarily. Right here, he's acknowledging that he understands what Simon is saying. And Jesus answering unto him. That's the key. He answers what Simon thought. Simon didn't have to come out and say or ask. He just thought it. And Yahshua realized it. Not only that, he said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he says, Master, say on. Now, as you heard me say, Simon is not specifically rebuked. He's not told that he will not enter into the kingdom. But this parable is Yahshua's attempt at getting Simon to understand the grace and the love that he held. Once again, trying to get you and me to understand how Yahshua sees, sees things as opposed to the Pharisees, as opposed to you and I, the flesh man. Because after all, Simon had the wrong mindset, did he not? He came in and said, if this man knew what manner of woman this was, he wouldn't let her touch her, him. So as it stands, we can deduct several things. But the Pharisees did not help. The Pharisees would not go around sinners. And as a result, the Pharisees would be forgiven of less, right? Because after all, they had no sins to atone for, had no need for a redeemer even. But those that are forgiven of much are much more grateful. 
They love more. Those that are forgiven little, love little. And that is the main theme of Yahshua. While he is in this Pharisee's house, he had more respect unto the sinner than the Pharisee. Because the sinner was more filled with love. The Pharisee had no love. He said, surely this couldn't be the Son of God, because if he was, he would know that this woman is a sinner. So let's point out the obvious. Does the narrative say she's a prostitute? No. Does the narrative say she was an adulteress like John 8? No. The narrative doesn't say anything except the fact that she is a sinner. So for all intents and purposes, we don't know what this woman of name sin is, do we? She could have maybe picked corn on the Sabbath to feed her baby. And here comes a Pharisee coming in and saying, well, she's a sinner. She's a violator of the law of God. And Yahshua already knew this. He already understood this. So he begins his parable. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. A form of respect, because after all, Yahshua is in Simon the Pharisee's house, right? And then he's given permission. Simon says, Master, say on. And thus begins the parable of a creditor and two debtors. This is a parable of a creditor and two debtors. And this is not to be mistaken with the unforgiving servant, because I preached that about four weeks ago. But in that particular parable of Yahshua, the unforgiving servant, there was a servant of Yahweh God who owed Yahweh God very, very much, and he was forgiven, just like in this parable. It was blotted out as per the law pertaining to Jubilees. But that unforgiving servant went out and held another servant of his in bonds for a much smaller amount. Not to be confused with what we're discussing here in the parable of the two debtors, because both were forgiven by the same deity, being Yahweh God. However, one owned much more than the other. So, does it seem equal? Well, let's dissect this. Verse 41 in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. So those are the numbers. And breaking this down, 500 pence today is the equivalent of $85. And 50 pence is the equivalent of $8.50. Why? Because one pence is the equivalent of about 17 to 18 cents. Understand this analogy? A denarius was the day's wage at the time of Yahshua. So he begins this parable. There was a certain creditor, and he had two debtors that were indebted to him. But only one owed $85, well, one owed $85 and the other owed eight fifty. So while they are similar to the parable of the unforgiving servant, in the parable of the two creditors, or the two debtors here, excuse me, they're both forgiven by the same exact creditor, the money lender. Both forgiven. Verse 42. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. So that's the analogy. One man owes you $85. Another man owes you $8.50. Common sense dictates that if you blotto out what is owed to you, in keeping with the law of Jubilees, if you do that, common sense dictates that the man who is forgiven for $85 
will be much more grateful than the man who is forgiven for $8.50. should be common sense. Therefore, he who is forgiven of more, loves more. And he, is for, who, and he who is forgiven of little, loves very little. So don't misconstrue this parable. Yahshua is not saying to go out and sin. In fact, that's the opposite of what he's saying here. He's not giving you license to sin so you have all sorts of transgressions that he can forgive you for and you can love him more. But the parable is he's in a Pharisee's house, a Pharisee who convinced himself he was pious, he was righteous, he was pure, probably what Marcion of Sinope believed. Yeah, I'm chosen of Yahweh God, but he was dubbed a heretic and put to death in the age of... As it comes down to it, understand this. You, if you serve Yahweh God, you will be saved. But if you do not, and you do not obey, you will not be saved. And so this comes down to a man's priorities, like most of them. So, when they had nothing to pay, these two creditors, or these two debtors that owed the creditor, excuse me once again, creditor is a moneylender. This business was provided by the law, understand this. This is not an unjust steward. The law of Yahweh God says it's okay. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 22, Leviticus 25, etc. All debts were to be forgiven every seven years. That is the year of the Jubilee. But it's not forgiven to strangers. Exodus chapter 21, Deuteronomy chapter 15, and so on. So these were both Israelites, both of these debtors in this parable. And they owed a man varying amounts. One much greater, ten times greater than the other. Therefore, Yahshua says, tell me, therefore, which one of them will love him, the creditor, most. And in verse 43, here in Luke chapter 7, Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, thou hast rightly judged. Rightly discerned that. That's common sense, is it not? then what on earth are we doing with this mindset where we think we're better than sinners? Yahshua came for sinners. If we have no sin, Yahshua doesn't know us. He didn't come for us, right? That's not to say we must go out and sin. That is to acknowledge that we are sinners. The Pharisee didn't. The moment the Pharisee said this woman was a sinner, he was the sinner. He had a sinful thought. He was violating the law of God. Because it is the will of Yahweh in the Old Testament that all should come to repentance. But your Pharisees of antiquity and your Pharisees today that are modern do everything they can do to keep people out of the kingdom. So what is different? We could replace this... Uh, nothing's different. That's the point. They still exist, dear kinsfolk. Within our movement, they know they're not entering in, and therefore they come in and do everything to keep others from entering in. The first key of the false prophet or the Pharisee is to come in and get you to think that you're greater than everybody else whom Christ came for. So remember that. The Pharisee had that ideal. All Pharisees did, then and now. And they still exist. He says, you have rightly judged. You have said correctly. The one that he forgave the most is the one that will love the most in return. Money's not the issue. Debt is the issue. Has nothing to do with money here. Because, after all, these debts are forgiven. There is no money transferring hands, at least in repayment. Therefore, when you're forgiven of your debt, he who has the most sins will be the most grateful. So, he says, you've rightly judged. And in verse 44, the narrative says, He turned to the woman and said unto Simon, 
Seest thou this woman? Now, at this point in the parable, he's bringing it to light. Not only to Simon, but also the sinful woman. He goes to the woman, points her out, shines the light on her, and says, Simon, do you see her? Now there's no escaping, is there? Simon, at this point, knew and realized that Joshua had read his mind and perceived his thoughts. And not only that, when he makes this statement, when he says, do you see this woman? Right there, I'm sure Simon understood that not only did Joshua perceive his thoughts, but that he had already knew what manner of woman this was. Remember, Simon reasoned within his heart and said, if this was a prophet, if this was the Son of God, he would know that this woman is a sinner. At this point, Yahshua says, Simon, do you see this woman? The woman saw Simon, Simon saw the woman, and Yahshua was there. So it is at this point where he brings to light the hypocrisy of Simon. He wants Simon and the Pharisees by extension, and you and I in this latter era, to see the world through his eyes. Because this woman was, was grateful, because she was anointing him, because she was crying, she had grace. She was grateful, gratitude. Simon did not have this. And so he said unto Simon, do you see this woman? Question. And then proceeds to give his parable. I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. Stopping right there. Now this was customary at the times of Yahshua because they would travel very long distances, and they wore sandals. Therefore, in this track, right here in John, uh, Luke chapter 7, well, he comes to Simon the Pharisee's house. You understand what I'm saying? He's in the land of Nain, not in Magdala. Therefore, where was Simon in all of this? He bid him to come. Yahshua did come, 21 miles to this land, to this Pharisee's house. And the first thing the Pharisee should have done, if he would not wash Yahshua's feet himself, which was customary, was at at least make a basin of water available so he could do so. So he says, do you see this woman? I entered into thine house. You asked me to come. But yet, you gave me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. He also continues, thou gavest me no kiss. Stopping right there, that also was customary. Peter, Paul, and many of the latter apostles would say that. Greet each other with an holy kiss, because it was customary. This isn't on the mouth, but this is on the cheek. And it was customary at the time of Yahshua. When disciples would gather together for fellowship, they would greet each other with a kiss. Customary for men to do that. Now, thank God (laughs) that custom is done away with in this era. But that's what Yahshua is saying here. This was customary. The washing of the feet, the kissing of the cheek, these were things you would do for any known stranger in the land, right? And here comes Simon the Pharisee and says, you know what, I want Yahshua to come and have dinner at my house. I want to ask him some questions. (laughs) And he wouldn't even wash his feet. He wouldn't even give him a holy kiss, which is a sign of respect and reverence. Therefore, Yahshua says in verse 45, Thou, Simon, you gave me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Yahshua says, Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, 
which are many, are forgiven. Stopping right there. Yahshua says her sins were many. She was a big sinner. But she obtained forgiveness. Now, if Yahshua was not God, this would have been blasphemous, because the Old Testament clearly defines that it is Yahweh. And the Israelites' act of obedience, at least through the sin atonement laws, who forgive sins. So, in short, to a Pharisee, if a man came in and said, I have the power to forgive sins, he was a heretic. He was considered blasphemous. But, all the while, just like in the case of Marcion, they do the same exact thing. And we hear this today. Oh, I'm not going to forgive Pastor Visser. It's not your job to forgive Pastor Visser. God forgives sins. It's your job to forgive your brother that sins against you. Do you not understand that? That's why he says, her sins, which are many, a second point, she had many, many sins, but yet she was forgiven. Why? Here's the answer, for she loved much. Loved much. Really had so much to do, or less to do with loving Yahshua, because after all, that's what Judeo-Christians say, all you've got to do is love God, right? But respect, reverence. Where was her priority? She was down in her tears. Remember the parable of the tax collector and the publican. The tax collector's down in tears, and he's crying and saying, Yahweh God, please allow me into the kingdom, for I'm a sinner. And the publican says, you know what? Thank God I'm not like this tax collector. But yet it was the tax collector who made it in, because he wasn't lifted up. They that are whole have no need of a physician. If you do not have sins, or you feel in your heart you do not have sins, then Yahshua cannot forgive you. Thus, the very first key to forgiveness is repentance. You cannot forgive an unrepentant sinner, your brother. Neither can Yahweh God forgive an unrepentant sinner, his son or his daughter. Therefore, Simon was not repentant. Simon was actually vain and lifted up and said, if Yahshua understood what manner of woman this was, he, well, she would, he wouldn't even allow her to come around him, right? But the woman was grateful. She was meek. She was repentant. She realized she messed up. What can we deduct third point for the day? And that is this, that Simon had more sins to atone for than the woman. And that is bore out by the text, because the woman's forgiven, Simon's not. Simon didn't think he had any need to be forgiven. So do you understand why Yahshua would answer in this manner? He's not saying she's a bigger sinner and heaven's full of sinners. He's saying she was the bigger person who had more repentance. Simon, the Pharisee, like most Pharisees, deluded himself into thinking he had a special position with God. He had no sin to atone for. But I assure you, dear kinsfolk, each and every one of us have sins to atone for. And the moment we start walking around thinking we're better than everyone else is the moment we have turned against God's children. So it's very important. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. Then Yahshua continues in verse 47. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Do you understand this? It's not as if you have to go out and commit great sins to love Yahshua more. But the idea is, if you're repentant and you are forgiven, and you are forgiven of much, then you will be 20 times more grateful than he who is forgiven of little. 
Simon's mindset was wrong in this analogy, and the unnamed sinner was correct. Simon sat there looking down his nose at Yahshua and the sinful woman, where the woman sat there crying, washing his feet with her hair, and anointing him for a coming burial. And let me interject, there are two more anointings in all four Gospels. This is a different anointing. But Yahshua went through three anointings total, and this was the very first one in his ministerial career. Many, many months before even the crucifixion. But yet, Simon the Pharisee, being somebody who's familiar with the Word of God, would have understood that, right? But he didn't. He was more concerned with dirtying his hands than he was fulfilling the commandment of God, which is that all should come to repentance. The point with this is if you think you're better than a sinner, then you don't believe you were ever a sinner. We were sinners. That's the point. So let's continue reading here if we can. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven because she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven? You, Simon, who believes you have no sins and don't need to be forgiven and aren't asking for forgiveness, right? You love little. And my, how true that is. Simon loved little or he wouldn't be sitting there trying to rebuke and keep this woman out of the kingdom. Your works don't account you very much especially if your own good works blind you to doing and obeying the golden rule. So in verse 48, as we wind this down, He, Yahshua, said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. Now I wonder why I would say that. Do you think it could have anything to do with the fact that Simon was against her, that Simon wouldn't heal her, like, like we learn about in Scripture, how the scribes don't teach with authority, and the Pharisees wouldn't even go around. Consider this for a moment. At least the papacy does this. They give the outward, you know, illusion or facade of trying to come in and help people that need food. Not the Pharisees. The Pharisees wouldn't even go around sinful, and therefore Yeshua had to come. That is how you also know the difference between a genuine prophet that is risen up according to Yahweh's own heart versus a Pharisee. What is the heart of Yahweh God? I already gave it to you. That all come to repentance, all Israel be saved. That's what it comes down to. So the moment a man comes in and starts attacking his Israelite brother, he is not from amongst us. Simon was not from amongst the Christians. He was a Pharisee. There's only one Pharisee that we know. Well, there's a few. But one big-name Pharisee in the New Testament that we know of, who actually converted and became a Christian by name. Saul, who was later surnamed Paul. That's it. The rest of them throughout Yahshua's ministry would protest and fight against him. And the irony of all of this is Yahshua was God in the flesh. He was exercising the law perfectly that the Pharisees professed to stand behind. Simon was violating the law by having no dealings with this sinful woman. The reality of it all is, is Simon should have said, hey, you know what, I don't need Yahshua to come to my house, but rather Yahshua's place where he is to sit down and to have meat with me will be given to this, the sinner, not the prophet. Simon says, if this man were a prophet, the woman recognized that Jesus was a prophet. So do you not understand how this ties into Sunday's Yahweh's truth? where I taught that Yahweh was God. Simon didn't recognize Jesus as God. That's apparent. He said if he was God or the Son of God, he would know what manner of, man, of woman this was. But yes, 
<laughs> Yahshua knew what manner of woman she was, and also knew what manner of man Simon was. And therefore, Yahshua, being the mediator, protects the woman, and more or less, lightly rebukes Simon, at least puts him at his conscience. He doesn't rebuke Simon and say, you're not within the kingdom. He turns right around and tells the sinful woman, thy sins are forgiven you. Most likely because Simon wouldn't forgive those sins, or at least teach her how she could obtain salvation. Verse 49, And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgives sins also? And he, Yahshua, said unto the woman, in verse 50, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. Very, very important. If faith saves us, then it is only faith that will save us. So do not get disillusioned and deceived into thinking a doctor will save you. Granted, maybe a doctor can be used to save you, but Yahweh gets the glory. Do you understand that? Don't get lifted up and say, hey, I have a high-ranking position at work. I got a $6 raise because you should be giving God that glory. God gave you the raise. This parable here, the creditor and the two debtors, who do you think the creditor was? And who do you think the two debtors are? Does it make sense? The creditor is Yahshua, the son of man. The two debtors are Simon and the sinful woman. That tradition likes to say is Mary Magdalene, but isn't. Those are the two debtors. Now, when it comes down to it, let's really look at this. One owed $85 in modern terms. One owed eight fifty in modern terms. Yahshua tells the woman at the end, your sins are forgiven you. Your faith has saved you, right? Two statements in verse 48 and 50. Thy sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. There's the key. So who owed the 85 bucks? But Simon. While Simon thought he owed the 850. He thought he owed less. But the woman owed less. And therefore, this parable is a rebuke on the thought of Simon, who said within his own self or his own heart, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Yes, Yahshua knew that. But what Yahshua knew that Simon could not see was that he was sitting in the house as a creditor in front of two debtors that were both sinners. Therefore, the parable of the debtors comes down more so to repentance and your worldview when it comes down to it. Are you grateful for Yahshua to forgive you? If you are, then the fruits of the Spirit will dictate you'll do like this sinful woman did. If you're not, and you don't believe that you can be forgiven or have nothing to atone for, you will most likely be like this Pharisee, Simon, the other debtor in this. So the point is, is man's reasoning is backwards. While Simon said, this woman owes so much, I owe so little, the reality was because through repentance, she owed less. Thy faith has saved thee. Simon had no faith. And that's apparent from day one, right there in the narrative. If he had faith, he wouldn't say that this man knew what manner of woman this was, right? He'd have faith enough to know, hey, God's in control of all things. So this parable of the debtor is important. It's important because both classes profess to be faithful, right? Both classes 
or sinful. One was forgiven of more, and one was forgiven of less. And as a result of being forgiven more, we love more. Thus, we can deduct it down into this. Whom Yahweh God loves, he chastises. And the man who will love Yahweh the most is the one who feels Yahweh's presence the most. So very, very important. Most people serve God as an evil deity. They love coming in and saying, Yahshua came in to do away with the works of the Old Testament. And as I proved at the beginning of this broadcast, this theory, this theology comes from Marcion of Sinope. He was a heretic. In his day, coming in and saying, do away with the Old Testament and replace it with the letters of Paul and Luke was considered blasphemy, heretical, and therefore he was a heretic. Only for the last 1,800 years of recorded history to have clowns come in and say, you know what, I'm a New Testament-only Christian. No such thing. No such thing. So Marcion Asinope is responsible for two things, mostly. One is the canonization of Scripture. He was the first person, at least from the 2nd century Christians, to come in and say, we need a yardstick. We need a measure of standard. We need something to dictate the spurious from the original and the genuine. And he was also responsible for his number one belief, which is found sometimes in Gnosticism. And that is that Yahweh God and Jesus Christ are separate. That was the number one thing he tried to attack. And so it is quite ironic, as I'm doing a Yahweh's truth, proving the deity of God, proving that Jesus Christ's name means exactly what it means, that is, Emmanuel, God with us. Here come your modern-day Paul Bashers, the opposite of Marcion of Sinope, the opposite coming in and saying, you know what, don't listen to Paul. <laughs> and thus we covered it. Luke chapter 7, the parable of the two debtors. And as I mentioned, if you go to John chapter 12, Matthew chapter 2, or Matthew chapter 26, Mark chapter 14, you will see that the parable of the debtors is extremely similar to several other accounts where Yeshua was anointed for his burial. All things come full circle. And while the Gnostic canon, well, I shouldn't say that, while the Gnostic books come in and say that Yahshua's alabaster box of ointment was intricately linked to his birth, that is merely tradition. What is historical is the fact that those who come in and say the Old Testament is done away with and that God of the Old Testament is evil are Marconians. They're not Christians. Their leader was killed as a heretic, and not only was he killed as a heretic, his structure for the canon of our books is what you hold today in 66. So when it comes down to it, do not be deceived by man coming in and saying, hey, this is legit, this is not. Most likely, Marcion was legit and was driven by that desire to come in and say, I want an accurate translation. I want to throw these other things aside. And so in his Gospel of Sinope, or uh, the Gospel of the Lord, attributed to Marcion, there's one variation. Every other word is identical to the King James translation, because this, what we've covered in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, is attributed to Marcion. Do you understand that? There's one variation, and it is reclined. 
when the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him, he went into the Pharisees' house and reclined to eat. That sheds much more light on why it is that she stood at his feet, behind his feet, washing them. She wasn't washing the back of his heels. She was washing his feet as he sat there eating. And then also at the very end, where verse 49 here, and we just covered it. In the Gospel of the Lord, it says, They that were reclining with Yahshua began to say within themselves, Who is this that can even forgive sins? King James says what? They that sat at meat. So the moral of this story is, while it was 150 years later, much later, actually, 1611 for the King James. But when dealing with the manuscripts, 160 years after Marcion's death, his work through the scribes, this fragment also, which is a valuable second witness, the Gospel of the Lord, appears in St. Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, with only one variation. The King James says, to sit at meat, Whereas the gospel according to Marcion says to recline, to eat. So, in my estimation, while he is a Gnostic, while he was branded a heretic, he at least had to drive, that is Marcion of Sinope, to have an accurate guideline. Now, his guideline, of course, was just Paul and Luke, do away with everything else. And that was what ultimately cost him his life. But I ask you... Is that belief any different than what we see in society with the modern-day Paul Basher? They come in and say everything Paul wrote, which is 80% of the New Testament, should be done away with. And we should follow only the old, most likely because they're Jews and Antichrist. Homosexuals or liberals, they have a reason against Paul. But Marcion Asinope did not. you imagine the irony? Marcion Asinope was a heretic, but he didn't have an issue with that fact. His issue was, when it came down to it, he did not believe that Yahweh was Jesus, even though Jesus Christ said it. And ultimately, that belief was created by a heretic. So if you have not already, go back and listen to last Sunday's Yahweh's Truth. I believe it was number 330. It's accessible on the Talk Show Radio Network. And it's also available on YouTube, probably three or four videos behind this one. And I invite anybody to come in and try and disprove the fact and the reality that Yeshua is God. Remember today's parable of the debtors? Remember how it ends? He says, your sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat or reclined with Yeshua began to say or reason within themselves, who is this that has the power to forgive sins? Do you understand it? Simon did not recognize Jesus was God with the power to forgive sins. The unnamed sinner in this town of Nain did. Therefore, the unnamed sinner had her sins forgiven, and Simon, who believed he had no sins to atone for, did not. Who is the greater person? The one with the blank slate or the one that has deluded himself into thinking he is guileless? He is sinless. So it stands. This was not an attack by Yahshua, but this was Yahshua showing pity through a parable and wanting Simon and the sinful woman to see through his eyes, to understand grace, to understand why forgiveness is extended. This was not Mary Magdalene, 
That is a tradition of the papacy. So, until next time, dear kinsfolk, this is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia, and the Covenant People's Church, inviting you to join me this Sunday for an all-new study and look into the parables of Yahshua Messiah. I also would like to thank the few men and women over the last few weeks that have saw fit to send a tie to my ministry and or help support my family. I have friends now in Finland, friends in Spain and Germany, and from around the world. And all I can say is praise Yahweh. I hope that continues. Remember that Yahweh God does not necessarily respect persons. And this is something I've said in pertaining to the awakening that is happening within the land. Not only are paupers awakening and brothers of low degree and the sinful because they have a need for that, but so also are kings, queens, and princes. And should the Lord tarry, I pray that that continue, because there's much power within us being unified. The Pharisee does not want unification. They love sowing discord, and as a result, Yahshua hates them. How can I say that? Yahweh hates a sower of discord. So never, never lose sight of that, dear kinsfolk. If you haven't already, swing by my website. It's accessible on the World Wide Web at covenantpeoplesministry.org or covenantpeoplesministry.com or covenantpeoplesministry.net. You can also write to us at Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, zip code 30205. I truly enjoy receiving your mail. If you want to write to me or send me magazine articles or anything else, or you want a specific topic addressed on the Covenant People's Radio, feel free to contact me by email, snail mail, or whatever method is most easiest for you, and we'll be happy to address that in future sermons. So thank you for joining me this Wednesday evening, and I hope that today's look at the parable of Yahshua into two debtors has helped you understand at least the grace of Yahshua and how he perceives, how he judges. He judges through love, man judges through vanity, and thinks that they are something special. Don't make that mistake. Until next time, this is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia, and the Covenant People's Church, wishing you and yours great studies, war for Christ. Amen. <laughs>